Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. And I'm Leslie Ovalle Atkinson. Carlos, do you believe in lucky charms? What, you mean like a lucky rabbit's foot or something? Yeah, I didn't really believe in that kind of stuff until the day my son was born. Thomas, your baby. Yes, it was May 17th. The Miami Heat beat the Boston Celtics and the Miami Marlins beat the Washington Nationals. Then the Florida Panthers won the day after. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence. Wait, hold on. Your baby. You're saying you have a lucky baby. Yes, look at the Marlins. Thomas carried the team on his back. They had their best season in like 20 years. If it was a good nap day, the fish would win. Bad nap day, it would be a loss. He was like a crystal ball. Wait, so you watch TV now? Is this the most TV you've watched in the last six months? Because I I know you don't watch TV. No, no, I'm talking about radio. It was all thanks to this guy. Three and two, the count to Rodriguez. Scott comes set, and the pitch is swung on and missed strike three. There it is. They've done it. The drought is over. 20 years of waiting has come to an end here in Pittsburgh. It's time to party in Miami. They spill out onto the field here at PNC Park as 25,000. Okay, okay, yeah, I get it. That is pretty exciting. That's Kyle Seeloff on Marlins Radio. He's the team's new play-by-play guy, and he turned us into a baseball family. Probably like he did for a lot of people this year. Yeah, Kyle comes from a Mets family, but hear me out. He says he was a Marlins fan since he was a kid, and he started his career early. In eighth grade, he was already announcing Little League games. They pay him in Gatorade and nachos. (laughs) Fast forward to today. This is his 11th season with the Marlins, but it's his first time doing a full season with the team. I feel like we need to talk to this guy. Oh my gosh, if only he were here in studio. Uh, Oh wait. Here he is. Kyle, welcome to Sundial Field. Thank you guys, thank you. That was a terrific little open there, I liked it. And scene. (laughs) Thank you. No, it's great to be able to have you in, like we were saying, to talk a little baseball. You know, sometimes in the middle of the heat of the season, it's hard to break in and kind of step back and, and have a, you know, really look at the season. So I think it's fun to just come in talk kind of generally about the season but really we want to get to talk about you because we know you're a you're a big baseball nerd through and through from oh, years yeah. ago um so marlins had a pretty good run there right like i i thought they were gonna i think like the rest of us were hoping they do a little bit better but but pretty pretty exciting run there yeah you know and i think what made it truly most exciting is that if you go back to last February, there were no expectations, right? I mean, there have been so many fans in this community for a long time that hope springs eternal and a Mm. couple of months in, the conversation turns to what prospects do they have? Who can we look forward to seeing years from now, right? And um, under the direction of Skip Schumacher this season, he kind of set this tempo early on in spring training. And everybody that I've talked to this year, I say this, I'm serious, Within a day or two of spring training, this is a guy that came from the St. Louis Cardinals organization. And if you weren't in a hooded sweatshirt at the end of October still playing baseball, it was not a successful season because the expectation is that you go deep into the playoffs Mm -hmm. and when the leaves start falling, it's really go time. And, you know, the one thing I loved about Skip is that he set a culture where it was, you know what, we're going to show up every day. We have a responsibility, and we owe it to this community to put our best foot forward. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go out on that field and embarrass ourselves, and people that are going to pay tickets and pay their hard-earned money to watch you, we're going to go out there and win. And no expectations turned into some hope, 
and then the players were like, nobody's beating us, and then the summer got a little longer, and it's like, whoa, they endured an awful start to the second half, and Mm -hmm. there we sat in Pittsburgh three weeks ago, and for the first time in 20 years on a full season, they got back to the playoffs, and it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was definitely a a roller coaster. I mean, we had you know the radio on we don't have a tv in our house so (laughs) we have the radio on and we're listening to you and putting the baby to sleep (laughs) my husband's like doing the dishes with his ear to the radio then he'd he'd come to me you know once the baby's asleep and he'd be like they won (laughs) (laughs) or like we'll have to try again i would like yeah well it was a bad nap day what can we expect um but yeah it's i mean we were there with the team with the dramatic ups and downs and uh yeah so do do you have a good luck charm do you believe in good luck charms do I believe in good luck charms? I don't think so. But baseball baseball is traditionally like super yes. superstitious. Baseball's filled with weird people. And just total weirdos. weirdos. Yes. And I'm probably one of them. But just people that are superstitious, uh, putting their socks and pants on a different way if you lose in the same way and you know, putting things in certain spots. I mean, the players are crazy. Some people that work in the organization are crazy. Um, God, for, God forbid you have one of those players who's like, I'm going to wear the same pair of socks oh, no. until we lose. Like, heaven forbid, like, you <laughs> start some cheering, weird stories start out cheering there. for a loss at that point. Yeah, I, I learned about the, the rally rally hats. Yeah, rally, rally caps. caps, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you explain what that is for Well, if you're down listeners. late in a game, you flip your cap upside down and inside out and put it on backwards. and uh, Maybe put a baseball works. between the... Yeah, uh, right, whatever. people go crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever yeah. you got to do to find a way to win. It's a crazy sport. It's long. It's eight months long, and... Uh, Whatever it takes to win. I, I think it's it's really interesting to think about baseball through the prism of radio, right? Like because everything has become so multimedia and everything is so visual, but there's something about baseball that works uh, like audibly the, in that scratchy AM radio. You yeah. guys are on uh, 940, 940 WINZ. Yeah. And there's something about that. Like I remember even though when the Marlins started, like I remember when the Marlins started, I'm that old. Uh, <laughs> and I remember listening to, uh, I want to say it was Dave Van Horn and yeah. Felo Ramirez yeah. doing the Spanish broadcast in yeah. my house. So I'm curious, like, how did how did you become, like, did the, is that how you became a Marlins fan? Like, how did, how did you become a Marlins fan? It's funny because I think baseball transcends time in that way because I, I was born in 1990 and I remember growing this, going to sleep and I grew up on farmland up in New York. Um, I just remember going to sleep with the radio on mm. and I grew up in a Mets family and mm-hmm. you heard that my dad's side of the family is from Long Island and you're left with very few options, right? You're either <laughs> in or you're out on the Mets or Yankees and if you like one, you hate the other. Yep. Right. Um, I just remember that on a really clear crystal night back home in New York, if I put on 660 or was it FAN at the time, whatever it was, I knew if it was a really clear night, I could put the radio on top of my Florida Marlins locker in my bedroom. Come on. And I would get the game and I would fall asleep listening to the game. And I just, that to me is the beauty of baseball on the radio. It, 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 it costs you nothing except the cost of a transistor radio. And you can still do that to this day with phones and laptops and TVs and overlaying our broadcast with the Bally sports, Florida TV feed. But when push comes to shove at the end of the day, even people that, come from everything or come from nothing. If you find a little radio, you know, it's then my responsibility to let you disappear for a couple of hours and get rid of all the other nonsense and all the stresses of life every day. And that's why I love baseball. That's why I love the radio. And uh, I I can't believe I'm doing it, seriously. And there's something about hearing, like, your passion in, like, your voice and, like, the... 
the way you know we heard it just earlier where did that where's that come from i'll tell you exactly where it comes from i'm one of 30 and i'm a fan and i know how much that this team means to this community mm. and it's been like this for a very long time like truthfully and i, t I tell people this i'm serious it's not it's it's not like fake excitement you can't fake it i i love the game I love the organization that's paying me to do this unbelievable job. It's like, how can I not love it? I'm, 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 a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan like all of you that tune in every night. And I feel like the luckiest dude in the world that they were crazy enough to give me this headset and let me do it. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the way, like every day that I show up, I'm like, this is my life. Everything else that people are going through in this world, I'm going to a baseball stadium. I have no issues. Whatever issues I think I have going on in my life, I don't have actual issues. So I'm going up there. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to let it rip. And I hope exciting things happen because I want the fans to feel that. Well, I, I want to talk about, you know, the, what the team gave us is an opportunity to escape. Like you were talking about yeah. the escapism of baseball. Talk to us about this season. They had an 84-win season. They got into the playoffs. It was like gripping. They got into that that fighting for that wild card spot. Describe for me some of the the seminal moments for you this year that that you think will stand out in your mind. Yeah, it's it's crazy because so many weird things happen, and it felt like right out of the gates. The the first real moment this season, where I sit here right now and I'm like, gosh, that was odd. It just doesn't happen that often. We were down three to the Nationals, bottom of the ninth inning, nobody on and two out. And they scored four runs. It was either four or five runs with two outs. And Jorge Soler mm -hmm. hit his first career walk-off homer. I mean, it, you, the, 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 the day was as dead as it can be. Let's go home. Let's regroup. We'll be back tomorrow. They were down three, I think, in the bottom of the ninth. Nobody on and two out. He hits a walk-off homer. Um, and that's the first moment. And then there's so many. I mean... You know, the, the improbable Yankees come back down six right. in the ninth inning. Jordan Hicks of the Cardinals throwing the ball down the right field line for another walk-off win. We were in Chicago, and Brian De La Cruz hit a double down the left field line in the ninth inning. Another game they had no business winning. Let's pack up. Let's get on the plane because we had to fly to Seattle. We go to Seattle. Jesus Sanchez robs a game uh, go-ahead or a game-tying grand slam hmm. in the ninth inning. It just kept going and going and going. And, you know, all of the one-run wins, the 41 one-run wins, like after a That's year. That's insane. Yeah, right? 40, half their win, almost half their wins were, were one run. Right, and it wins. was edge of your seat. like yes, oh, And say. they were one of the best teams in baseball in the seventh inning and later, which gave you excitement every night. And they were comfortable <laughs> playing in these close games, so they'd be down one in the seventh inning on a – a Wednesday in June, and they'd come back, and somebody would hit a big homer. Jazz hit the consecutive grand slams in September yeah. against the Braves. We swept them, and they had beaten our brains in for years, and we sweep them in September. It's like, holy cow. At some point, the players believed, and people don't believe this, but it was written about actually in the Herald, Yuli Gurriel, who just came from Houston, and mm -hmm. he was with the Marlins this season, he told these guys three, four weeks into the season, we will go to the playoffs. You can get there if you believe. Nobody else believed. I promise you that. It's like, well, everybody says that, right? Come right. on. Well, there's 140 yeah. games left, guys. Rah, rah. Let's go. And they just believed. And I, I've said this as well. They didn't take the nobody believes in us mentality or like the underdog, like nobody, nobody's going to believe Us against the world. Yeah. It gets a little boring. But you know what they tiresome. were? They were superiorly confident. Hmm. Every day they showed up. They, they just took a business-like approach to every day. 
They were a confident group. They were led by an unbelievable manager. The the front office did an unbelievable job. And um, I said this when they clinched in Pittsburgh. I hope every single fan enjoyed it as much as those players did on the field because every fan of this team in this city that have stuck by their side for years and years deserve this. You, oh, we, you mentioned uh, you, were, you mentioned uh, the front office, and it's I, I think we all love the way this team was put together. Um, I think that's what, what it was exciting. And, and I, know you, you pro- I don't know what you can say about this, but... Uh, I, I know it was a gut punch for a lot of folks that Kim Eng, uh, um, this she's parted ways with the team, and um, I, I don't know. Talk talk about her impact. You know her the effect that she had on on helping to put together this this excitement that yeah. we saw. Kim did an unbelievable job. Unfortunately, I think in sports sometimes business is business, and mm. it, I to to be quite frank with you, there's very little that I know on it. I read everything that everybody puts out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I truly do think at the end of the day, whatever has happened has happened, but people should be extremely appreciative for Kim's time in Miami, the team she was able to put together this season. She did a tremendous job. The organization is forever thankful. Mm-hmm. She's extremely thankful and she's going to go on to do incredible things. Uh, and the organization is as well. And so, you know, you talked about the highs and the lows. And I think the highs that you talked about wouldn't be as high if we hadn't had some of those lows. Yeah. And then also, mm-hmm. like, the history of the team here. Um, but now, you know, unfortunately, we're talking and they're no longer in the postseason. Yeah. Is there a team that you're going for now that you're rooting for? Or is it too soon to ask? Let me see. Okay, the Rangers, the Astros are very good friends of mine in broadcasting because we train with them during spring training. Mm-hmm. Well, we train with the Cardinals, but the Nationals and the Astros are 10 minutes down the road in West Palm Beach. Uh, we train with the Cardinals. They're not in it. So on the other side, it's uh, Arizona. Uh, I know those guys well. Philadelphia, I love Scott Fransky, somebody that I very much look up to. Uh, to answer your question, um, my closest friends are who I'm rooting for. This is going to be close. I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer for you. I'm still mourning it. I'm still. <laughs> I don't have a team yet. <laughs> yeah. No. I want to. I, I want to ask you um, about kind of where dig more into that passion. And and there was this um, this photo we saw of you in a little Marlins outfit. And I think who's your sister? <laughs> That's my sister. In a in a Cardinals. She outfit. She has no idea who she was in. I don't even know where that came from. But I think it was a Cardinals. <laughs> and like outfit. the the Marlins and Cardinals share a spring t- training facility, so I imagine that maybe there's uh, a, some connection there. But but I want to get into more about your background. But first, we have yeah. to take a little break. Our guest today is Kyle Seeloff. He's the new play-by-play host on Marlins Radio. It's his 11th season with the team. But this has been a long time coming for you, right? I mean, your your baseball roots, you were telling us, you were listening to radio as a little kid in, in upstate New York. So how did how did you go? Like, how did how big was baseball in your life? Your parents must have been base, big baseball fans. Though. Yeah, so my, my dad's side of the family. So to backtrack, I, I actually was born in Orlando. And I moved to New York when I was three or four. Okay, so, okay. Yeah, so we get you some Florida cred there, then. right? So I consider myself. You know, I grew up in New York. I grew up in farm country in the Finger Lakes outside of the Ithaca Cornell University area. Um, so I grew up on farmland in, in New York, back home. My dad's side of the family was from Long Island, out in Hempstead. So that's where that Mets tie comes in from. Hmm. Um, and and I'll and I'll tell you what. Like I, I tell people this all the time. You know, that's what brought my family together when I was younger. Mm. Up until I really started with the Marlins and my grandfather has since passed, but he watched every game every night. And I'm not kidding you up until I really started in 2013 and probably a couple of years afterwards, even when I didn't keep up with them as much anymore, 
I would call him every single night or every single morning to talk about the game. Hmm. But I think that's the beauty of baseball. Like it, it brings families together. And inherently, us broadcasters become an extension of people's families because we join you at the dinner table every night for 162 games a year, right? Like that's to me the beauty of the sport. And I love sports. I I, I love football, but that's like a that's a scene every Sunday, and then they yeah. disappear for six days. Um, but for me, baseball. It is amazing in that way. So I grew up in Orlando. I moved to New York. Um, just grew up loving baseball. Played it growing up. Little League, high school. Played two years in college. And then I transferred to the University of Miami. But oh, that's interesting. So that's what, what brought you down yeah, here. Yeah, I, 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 haven't, I haven't left. So, I, so growing up in New York, I remember, and I was telling you, Leslie, when we chatted on the phone, I, for, I don't, for whatever reason... And I played a little bit of football, but I was sick and tired of getting hit. And I was like, I'm done with this stuff. But I remember all my friends were playing. So in like eighth grade, I went up to the press box and I'm sitting up there on a PA system, which you should only be saying such and such on the carry for a gain of five at second down. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a hundred parents in the stands. I'm up in the little press box hollering like I'm doing this game on ABC. Like it's the biggest (laughs) thing in the world on a Saturday. And I just remember my mom at some point telling me like, you should keep doing that. I don't, I really don't know when people ask like where my love of like doing this came from other than subconsciously, it just had to have been like my fandom of a team growing up and listening to it on the radio. You fall in love with the people that are bringing you the action every night. So at some point I made the decision, I guess it was my last year of high school that like, hmm. I want to do broadcasting. I don't know how the heck I'm going to do this. Um, I was monkeying around in school. So I went to a community college where I played baseball for a couple of years and then I transferred to the university, but I really got my start at Finger Lakes Community College in Canandaigua, New York. Did you, did you know that, I mean, did you know that you were not going to be a professional baseball player? At what point did that hit you? Like, all right, this will not be my Yeah, path. after two years in community college, I came to my senses like, okay, yeah. you know what, this is fun, but this is coming to a rapid halt. So it's, it's, it's time to boogie. <laughs> that can be a big come to Jesus for athletes. Like, that could be a, a big moment of self-reflection of who, I, who am I if I'm not a baseball player. And, yeah. But you got to deal with that earlier. Yeah, I, 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 you know... I, I loved playing, and I just wanted to stay in sports. Mm. I don't know if it was this, like, super impactful decision. I, I knew. I was like, you know, I'm monkeying around at community <laughs> college. But it was like glorified <laughs> high school. It was fun. You'd be like, yeah. you know, you, you you go out with your buddies and stuff. But I, I was like, gotcha. I, now, I don't know why. And, it, again, it might be subconsciously. I grew up loving the Miami Hurricanes. So I got my act together in community college, and I applied to the university, and they let me in. So I was like, Mom and Dad, <laughs> I'll see ya. I'm, I'm going to the U. And that's how I ended up at the university in the fall or August, late August, the fall of 2010. And you thought back to that time when you were, you know, earning your nachos and Gatorade. Yeah. And, and here we are now. So how, how did your family take it a certain way when you, you know, you're a Marlins fans, they're Mets fans? No. Did that go down any? No, I think they were just super, super proud of me. I mean... It's kind of crazy how I even got the opportunity down here. but Yeah, how did that come about? So I came down here in the fall of 2010. I went to the University of Miami where I did the student radio, mm-hmm. student TV. And so I really started to dig my heels into doing this. Meanwhile, I was a practice player on the women's basketball team at the University of Miami for two and a half years. Um, so then I was doing like the student radio for the women's basketball games. Um, so I was doing that. Long story short... 
If I go back to when I was little, when I started, when I turned 14, I immediately got a job. My mom was the secretary of the elementary school back home. And I just, hmm. I worked in like the bus garage and I was like a, a custodian in high school. I was cleaning my teacher's classroom sometimes after school. And in the summertime, I was mowing the grass for the school. I was painting my walls mm-hmm. of the school. So I was used to like manual labor. Okay. So fast forward, I graduated from the university in December of 2012. And at the time, Chris Whittingham, who's a very popular voice down here, he was with the Dan Levitard Show. He's now mm-hmm. doing Apple um, MLS. Yeah, packet. he's calling games uh, nationally now for uh, Apple. Correct. Apple, so he was Apple, yeah. he was a little bit younger than me, but he was my program director, or the sports director at mm-hmm. um, WVUM Campus Radio. So he had reached out to me and said, "Hey, I think the Marlins are looking for an internship, and somebody might be able to do the pregame show." And I'm thinking, I'm 22. Okay, I'll put an application in, but who on earth is going to let a 22-year-old on air for a Major League Baseball team? I applied. I went home for the holidays not knowing if I was coming back. I got one, like, little interview with them, and I didn't hear anything. And at at one point, I told my mom and dad, I'm going back. And I took a suit with me down here. I was living in a house in Vizcaya with, like, four of my friends. I was sleeping on an air mattress, which was fine. It was cool for me. And I drove all the way back down here. Wow. Another one of my buddies was working out at the old tennis open out on Key Biscayne. Mm-hmm. I took a job doing manual labor, hanging the fences for the tournament. So I was just working like nine to five or eight to four out on Key Biscayne, hanging just fences. paying the bills. Just, yeah. just paying Can the I bills. Say, I just I respect the hustle. Like mm. you fit in in Miami. There's yeah, and I, you know, city, like so. I might have stayed down here if it didn't work out, but I was down there with tie wraps and I was hanging fences every day on Key Biscayne. I was like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm on an island every day. <laughs> I'll figure this out. Like I'm paying the bills. So I got back down here, and I called them at the time. I said, I'm here. Like, I'm here. I want to interview. I have a suit. I have a tie. Let's do it. (laughs) Long story short, I interview. They give me the internship. They put me on air in 2013. And the rest kind of sort of is history. I did get a little lucky. After 2013, the manager at the time of the organization's broadcast department up and left for ESPN because I thought after my internship year I was done. I was applying to AA and AAA mm-hmm. jobs on the East Coast. A lot of them would respond because they saw the Marlins. I didn't know where I was going to end up. But that guy up and left for ESPN, and I went to him. I lied. I said, hey, I could do that. Come on, I'll figure this out. I can do that. So then they ended up hiring me full-time as the coordinator of broadcasting then, and I took on a ton of administrative responsibility. I got to keep my pregame show, which I loved at the time. I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world, and mm-hmm. I still think it is. And now – 11 seasons later, I just wrapped up my first as the lead play-by-play voice. For you, where where did that hustle come from? Was it your parents? Did yeah. you see that growing up? Yeah, I just I, I grew up in a, 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 a middle-class family. My parents worked their tails off. Again, my mom was the secretary of the elementary school. My dad worked for Johnson Controls doing heating and air conditioning and cooling and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, my, my, my mom's side of the family worked their tails off um, mm-hmm. paying the bills. My dad's side of the family was hard workers, and I just knew that when I was of age – I was going to get, if I wasn't playing sports and I didn't have something to do that night, uh, I better find a job during the summer. And yeah, I was a custodian in yeah. high school. <laughs> but do you, do you remember your, like the first, because for, for, especially coming from background and family that are working hard all the time, do you remember that first outing to see a, a professional game? Like you're, you're a Mets fan. Do you remember going to your first, first Mets game? Yeah. Uh, oh, the first one. I remember being in the back of a minivan when I was young with some family friends that kind of lived <laughs> like across the other side of the farmland is the best way I can describe <laughs> it. Back, I lived actually in like it was a village. It was 
inside of the, the county was inside of a town and I lived in the village. But whatever. I remember going down to Shea Stadium when I was younger. But my most vivid memories growing up was in 2008 when they closed Shea Stadium down. My grandfather, um, I forget if he told me he went to the first ever game at Shea in 1962. Well, my dad and I took him to closing day in 2008. And then wow. I was at City Field in 2009 as a fan watching them opened. opened up the facility. Wow. So again, you know, that's... You guys yeah. have long, that's strong ties. Correct. With, both with family, with baseball, right. and with like that part of the country. Right. I used to sit with my grandpa when we would talk on the phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would... I have a yearbook. Um, there's a, It's the 1969 Mets yearbook at home that he The gave Amazing me. Mets. The 1969 Correct. Amazing Mets. And then the Mets. Miracle Mets were in 86, but I have the 1969 yearbook back home that was passed down to me from my grandfather. So that's why, like... People are always like, how, how could you like them? And I tell them, like, when it's in your family and it means the world to you, and to me, it, like, connected me and my grandfather and me and my dad. We would sit down at night and we were watching. Like, that's how I learned the game. And, like, that's all I cared about, you know. And to, to me, like, even as I grew up, like, listening to the broadcasters, they became more to me than even the players. But that, to me, like I said, is the beauty of baseball. It'll bring families together. It's something, it's like that universal love language. It's something that everybody understands if you love it. So that's why I'm like, it's hard to just let that go at some point because my my grandfather passed in uh, October of 2018. Mm-hmm. And to me, you know, like that's what I remember, right? Those are the memories that I'll always have is our love for a team, um, so, you know, and, and my dad too. And now obviously we all love the Marlins and yeah. think they still love me. I think I'd have to call them <laughs> and ask, but you know, that, that, that's the sort of stuff that, you know, and if I have a family one day, they'll be Marlins fans. Right. And that's what they'll remember. You know, a, a, a kid will remember talking to me, um, about the Marlins. Right. So that's, that's See, the beauty of baseball. I think that's why it's kind of sometimes hard to adopt a new team unless you have a strong family connection. Like today in the studio, I'm looking across in the control room and Leslie's baby is here. And right. uh, Th- Thomas is here and Kevin is here holding the baby. Right. Room. And f- and like obviously like that was something that brought you guys together. For me, uh, it was the 86 Mets. Yeah. Like my cousin, uh, my, my cousins I'm really close to, Julio, who's an audio engineer, um, uh, was uh, from New Jersey, right? And they grew up with the Mets, and I idolized him, and and so we watched we watched the '86 Mets, right? You know, so like I, I think like ha- that creation of like family being connected, being part of that connective tissue, that's something sometimes something you don't get with even other sports, right? Yeah, I think I mean my dad. I I grew up going to baseball games too, but I was like too cool for it at that time right. you know they were like a little slow i'd take my coloring book <laughs> and now we're taking our our baby there he went to his first baseball game it's august we played the uh look at me we played like i'm talking already hey, that's like okay on the team. We, i know look uh, at she's me. wearing it. you need to get her a jersey now right she's she just called herself I we know. so there you go. my baby's wearing his jersey right now nice but, so um so yeah i mean that anyways we're playing the astros and we we won and it was just so yeah. exciting we're a baseball family and like you said i think it's something that you can't i don't know about doing that with other sports there's right. something about the heart of baseball the spontaneity of baseball the weird quirky quirky rules um and the slowness of the game maybe a little bit too you know but the one thing you said i promise you if you ask your dad he'll remember those days where you were like coloring in the stands <laughs> but he was able to bring his daughter to the game and Absolutely. it's not it's not the craziness of the nfl where people yes. are falling out of the upper deck punching each other because they've been drinking since eight in the morning 
you know, it's baseball. Like, yeah. It, like there's just something to that where it could be a family outing and yes. it's, you know, if, if you don't, if you have ice cream all over your face and eat, the only thing you want is the teddy bear from the gift shop, the coloring book and the ice cream. And you don't remember what you saw, like your mom and your dad will, the family will that like, it, that's yeah. just, it, the, the sport brings people together. It really yeah. does. It, it, the slowness of it, I think lends itself to that. And we'll talk a little bit about that yeah. later. Yeah. But. Well, I think I was going to say, I think that there's, you, you have an interesting role because you, you stepped into like, you create a family. And so like those radio broadcasters start to feel so intimate and you had an interesting spot because now you stepped into a role of a guy, Glenn Geffner. Yep. Who had been the voice of the team something for like 15 seasons yeah so like you're you're kind of like stepping into this new role of family and i think that that must have been interesting for you to yeah do that. It, it's also hard when i started in 2013 dave and glenn had worked together for a very long time and dave was with the organization until 2021 and then glenn departed after 2022 um i i think i i sent out a tweet after the season ended in philadelphia like trust me when i tell you i get that change is very hard in any aspect of your life. And I understand that we're not putting men on the moon here in baseball, but people love the continuity of mm -hmm. hearing the same people. And it's extremely tough for people when there's change. And I knew that. I am not blind to that. I know there's people out there that probably stopped listening a little bit this season, but I just want everybody to know I'm a fan like them. And mm -hmm. I hope, like, the only thing I can ask for is a chance. And ultimately, I won't be for everybody. There will be people that won't like listening to Marlins Baseball on the radio because they miss other people. And you know what I say? That's okay. Like, it's okay, right? And um, I get it. Change is super hard. People are crazy about, you know, their sports. And I want to hear the people. I want to see the players. I don't like change. And that's how we all are. And that's okay. And, and it was, it was super super tough because i still to those day to the to, to to this day miss those guys um and i i did my best to you know put my best foot forward and really try to grip the rope and take the reins of the thing and i got more comfortable as the season went on but yeah it was hard because change is hard and people are not going to be happy when the organization makes change like that and i'll you know i'm a beneficiary of the change that was made um but I gave people everything I had. I love showing up and broadcasting Marlins baseball every day. Our guest today is Kyle Seeloff. He's originally from New York, but has been a Marlins fan since he was a kid. Today, he's the play-by-play -play host on Marlins Radio. And we're talking about change, and the game has had quite a few changes this season specifically. And But I, I want to talk first. You were talking about you coming in after the other host being there for like 15 seasons. Um there's something about so players kind of come and go within these baseball teams, but the radio voice is often someone that stays for a long time. Yeah, I mean that's you know you you hope. I mean I, my my hope is that uh, we we can make this an annual thing and I can come see you guys for the next thirty or forty years. That would Done. be great. Yeah, that's a date. Uh, I I would love to be able to do that. But um, yeah, like you know, to me, I get this unbelievable opportunity. I don't want to go anywhere else. I. I, I guess now that I think about it, I've been down here for 13 years. Um, I, what, I was here for another four growing up. I've been probably down here now for more than half of my life. Right? You know, to me, Miami is home. I, you know, I, I don't go somewhere else in the off season and just cruise back down in February and start doing Marlins baseball again. Mm. Like, you know, this is home for me. I get an opportunity to do some stuff for the ACC network for the University of Miami because I have a lot mm -hmm. of people I'm still close with down there. I enjoy doing that stuff. Um, but this is home, and like, I don't. 
I, I don't look for, to me, I don't ask myself what's next. You right. Know, things happen. I get that. And maybe someday they'll say, hey, it's time for some a new a new voice. But, you know, like every off season, I'm not looking like, hey, what's next? Where can mm-hmm. I go now? Or I'll say, or, you know, like, like a lot of, like Marlon's greats, Dave O'Brien. Yeah. John Shambi, Boog, yeah. Boog Shambi. Yeah, Boog's awesome. Those guys yeah. went national. I mean, those, this place has a reputation. Chris Whittingham, you mentioned. Yeah. You know, I mean, this place has a reputation for, I mean, obviously being one of, one of a, only a handful of teams in the country, but, um, but as a place to hone your craft yeah. and, and sometimes getting opportunities nationally too. N- no question about it for me. And people are like, you're so young. Why, why baseball on the radio, you weirdo? Like, you know, for, for me, this is, <laughs> and, and I understand there's plenty more out there and, you know, there's ways to make more money and all this stuff. But for me, being able to be the lead voice on a team, for a team, mm. on the radio, for a major league baseball team, to me, it's a dream come true. So, again, I know life happens. I don't know what's going to happen down the road, but I'm not sitting at home or waking up every morning and Googling around like, what's next? What's like, I love the Marlins. I love the organization. They've treated me so well, and I just want to do it forever. I really do. Yeah, there's something about being the voice of your hometown, which Leslie and I both get to say. We were both born and raised down here. 100%. Yeah, and so again, the game this year looked very looked different. Yeah, um, if you paid close attention, one of the the was the pitch clock. Yeah, and you w- want to make the game faster. Um, yeah, so back in the us- day, back in the day, right? You could just so- the, the pitcher could just take all his sweet time. Yeah, and now the pitch clock is. Uh, set a time limit on the amount the, between the last pitch and the, right. pitch, the ball coming back to yeah. him, right? Like growing up, you mentioned Felo Ramirez mm. yeah. on the Spanish radio. You listened to Felo growing up? Did you listen did, to Felo? I did, I yeah. did. I wasn't really paying attention to what was happening, but I remember Bola. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Strike. <laughs> and it was just, I, I would make fun of my dad for listening to this because I would be like, this guy's taking forever to tell us what's happening. And now I appreciate it. But so give us, what, what do you, you know, the changes of the game, making it faster. You know, it's a very interesting. And in, as doing it the first time, right? Like I, I knew the changes were coming, but baseball on the radio is storytelling. It's long. It can be three and a half, four hours. How do you mm-hmm. cover it? What are we going <laughs> to talk about? And a lot of reason people grow up loving baseball on the radio is because it really does feel like family. You'll mm. you'll know what they did two days ago for dinner because we're in the seventh inning. It's a 12-2 blowout, and everybody's like, you know, you got to find a way to entertain, right? Like, a lot of people know a lot about me inherently mm-hmm. because, you know, sometimes games go long. That really wasn't <laughs> the case this year. Everything yeah. was about two and a half hours long. Babies were home for bedtime. Um, it worked, yeah, that way it worked for us. <laughs> you, you know, but now, you know, you know, what's funny to me is everybody always says baseball's dying. Well, there's more money in the game than there's ever been. Attendance was up for the first time, or you know, there was more people attending games mm. in total this season in like a decade. You know, it ain't dying. In fact, there was all these runs scored this year. There was a ball being thrown, hit, caught, fielded every 15, 20 seconds. Um, and, you know, people are like, why would you change the game? Well, if you've been a fan of baseball for a long time and you go back 30 or 40 years, that's how the game used to be played. Mm-hmm. Right. It was two hours, two hours, 15 minutes, an hour exactly. and 55 minutes. Um, you know, so the league has done an unbelievable job of getting back to a place where people that are coming, you engage with them and it's two and a half hours of your time and it's quick, right? There's always something to, 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 mm-hmm. to, 
to keep your attention. So I thought it was great. Yeah, when I was when I was a baseball writer uh, for the Atlanta Journal Constitution, it was uh, it was a blessing when Greg Maddox was pitching because you knew in two hours and two between two hours and two hours and fifteen minutes you were going to be done. Like the the game was going to move. He was going to pitch. He was going to get the ball and he was going to come back and the game moved. And there was. There was an energy created in that, I think, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I felt the fast pace of it, and it, it wasn't just because I was changing diapers and perfect <laughs> baby in between the games. But um, but do you think that maybe we, we lose anything? I, I, I have an uncle who is a little bit against the fastness of the game now. He's very traditional. Do we lose anything about, you know, the slowness? I, I don't think so, because the slowness is because people were standing there doing nothing. <laughs> now, if you enjoy that... You know, <laughs> you know, to each his own. That's your own prerogative if you enjoy nothing happening. You know, again, the game used to be played at a lightning pace. Carlos, wait, now I'm going to flip the tables here. What years did you cover the Braves for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution? Early 2000s. So I, I, got to st- I got to be in the locker room with Maddox, Glavin, okay. and Smoltz. And the reason- Smoltz, he was a closer and when he came back. Okay, here's the reason why I ask you that. It was either 2005 or 2006. Mm-hmm. I was at Shea Stadium. I saw the Mets play the Braves. It was a one nothing final. Glavin went opposite of Smoltz, I believe, or Maddox. Must have been Smoltz. It was an hour and 55 minutes, a one nothing game. Ramon Castro got thrown out at the plate, and the lone run was an opposite field home run by Andrew Jones at Shea Stadium. That sounds right. Yeah, I, I feel like I it remember. It was like that. an hour and 55 minutes. And I actually remember leaving. I was like, oh, but Dad, like, I know the game's over. Like, what are we gonna do now? You know, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. But I like I remember that. It wasn't that long ago. Back to your point, Leslie. Like, mm-hmm. I know people are don't are so receptive or not receptive to change. Like broadcasting the game, like, don't change anything. Leave us alone. Don't yeah. change a thing and we'll all be happy. But the game's in a better place. It really is. Lo and behold, they fixed baseball. I think right. we can say that they fixed <laughs> right. baseball. One of the things also that stood out too is, I mean, if you were watching a game before and after, is the bases made them bigger, and you're like, "What is that going to look like?" And they looked cartoonishly yes. large. Yes, but but that that fixed that did several things, right? Right. I mean, there was more stolen bases. The you know the bang bang play at first, all of a sudden was getting overturned more this year. And I asked people this too: after you got used to it and you stopped complaining about it. Was it really on your mind in the middle of June watching the game? No. If only those bases were smaller. Okay, like yeah, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask my uncle. You know, yeah, yeah. did you really realize it after a couple of weeks? Did you really realize the pitch clock? The only time you did is when a player screwed up and they went past it. Like, it's okay. I t- it's all gonna be okay. I promise. The league is not flying by the seat of their pants here. They really do know what they're doing, and you you can yell at them all you want, and you can bark up a tree, but sometimes nobody's gonna hear you. They're doing things that ultimately improve what we're watching. There was the big thing this year, you can no longer shift. It led to more offense, right? right. And, and just right. to give folks who don't have, because not a, not the, the entire yeah, NPR audience is a baseball background, so like a, a player could kind of stand wherever you want on a field, Correct. really. And now they said uh, you couldn't, uh, like the shortstop couldn't go over to the right. second baseman's side and right. vice versa uh, if you knew a player was more likely to hit it in that area. Correct. And so what it did, well, talk about what having a shift did to, to, to the game. Well, what they were trying to do is they were trying to give a base hit back to guys because generally when p- teams would shift, there was three infielders to the right or the you know to the right mm-hmm. or the left side of the second base back, right? So for the right-handed hitters, there would be three infielders over there basically vacating and tempting the hitter to hit the ball to the right side and hit it through the hole for a base hit. 
The reason is the game is now played in a day and age where it's predicated on power and home runs and analytics is taking over where a home run is what matters and a home run generally it's pull side and you try to you try to yank it out but you know we're probably getting into the weeds yeah. too much. No, there. but it, it does remind me of like when like when basketball, you know, you couldn't use a zone defense. Correct. You had to do man you had to Correct. do like one-on-one coverage right. and then bat, the NBA So the whole point they're trying seated. to give a base hit back to guys now. They want guys to get on base. They want them to steal, you know, get hits, drive exactly. run Exactly. And, and, and it, it all comes back to that. It all yeah. comes back to excitement. So talk to me about new excitement. I mean, I, I know we're still kind of uh, in the lull of, of not being in the postseason, but tell me about some of the things that you're excited about to see from this Marlins team. Well, I thought the the deadline acquisition of Jake Berger and Josh Bell was incredible. And Jake Berger, who came over from the White Sox, is a guy that's now going to be your cornerstone at third base for the next three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, young People love Jazz Chisholm Jr., mm-hmm. right? Um, Luis Arise just became the first ever player in Major League Baseball history to win the batting title in back-to-back years in two separate leagues, which was incredible, obviously. Right, he came, he came from the Twins, right? The he twins. was the batting champion of the Twins, and now he was, right. he was batting and champion they here. they traded Pablo for Luis Arise, and it's not oftentimes a trade will work out great for both sides, and it did because Pablo, you know, the Twins are obviously done now in the postseason. He had an unbelievable year, got himself a massive contract extension. Um, well, well, you're ta- you're talking about front office moves, right? right. And and we're we're gonna have a new, the the Marlins will have a new front office. Correct. Still. There's been some talk about whether there'll be a, a president of baseball right. operations and a GM right. or one or the other. Remains to be seen. Yeah. And and just talk to me in general about you know people fall in love with the team, and then when something like that changes, that's got to be tough to to tell folks keep folks interested like saying you know like we are not this is still going to be a team that you love yeah again change is obviously hard and people are going to find you know whatever reason for them personally like why it is or is not the right decision Hmm. but there will be to your point whether it's a president or a general manager or both or whatever somebody's going to come in and their responsibility is going to be tasked with creating a great farm system and young players that will be future marlins and keeping current players under team control with plenty of control for years to come keeping the team competitive on the field skip schumacher's not going anywhere this upcoming season you know he has a contract and he was largely responsible for where they were this year but and here's what i would tell people there will be changes and certain players will not be back that's the sad part about great seasons ending because the same guys you saw every single day they'll never be together again it just happens that's life that's baseball but, you know, mm. whether it's... That's interesting. That's an interesting right? way to think right? about it. Yeah. That's yeah. why fans generally get sad. It's like, I'll never... Even for me. Like this I, team for this season. I, I should have said this, too, when you guys asked me about where my excitement comes from. I'm very serious when I say there was not a single player in that clubhouse this season that I did not love being around. Mm. They were generous. They were kind. They wanted to hang out. They wanted to get to know you. And that's not always the case because these people making $200 million and $30 million a year can be off-putting. They can just mm-hmm. they, they just don't want to get to know you. And there was a culture from Skip mm. that it just be kind humans, be good people. Yeah. I don't care how much money you're making, you know. I fly on the plane with the team. There is a party of 65 of us that are together more than we are our families. For eight stinking months, that begins in February at a hotel for six weeks, that begins the regular season, and then every sixth or seventh day, you're on a plane either going to Atlanta or Seattle or anywhere in between. We spend more time together on buses, 
planes and hotels than anybody else for eight months. And there's something too, being good people, because we're going to have to be around each other all year because the bad eggs will get knocked out at some point. But what what are some of those moments? Do you have any anecdotes from this season that you, you really, you know, you're really going to remember from, you know, those that moments you can of say playing? on the radio? Yeah. You know, <laughs> any particular anecdotes? I, I don't know if there's like a particular moment. I, obviously, after after everybody celebrated in Pittsburgh, we all went back to the hotel lobby bar area and everybody was hanging out. And that was just that was special. Um, the, the moments that, you know, I guess I won't forget and I've kind of forgot them. But, you know, it's just little things because it happens so constantly. You're 35,000 feet in the air at two o'clock in the morning and a player comes back and you're just chatting. Right. Like mm-hmm. about nothing. It's I've, I've, <laughs> people may not like this, but generally speaking, these creatures of habit, mm. they show up to the ballpark and they get very, very serious. And unlike fans, as soon as the game is over, win or lose, it's time for me to disappear. Right. They'll talk about anything but baseball because they've been so locked into that yeah. for hours. So, you know, guys, I'll be back in the back of the plane playing my Nintendo Switch and playing Mario Kart at three in the morning because we have an overnight flight, and the guys will sit there and play. You know, and those, you know, give me that. I want to play it. So those yes. are the things that I won't forget. And I love the game. I want to see them win. But you create friends for life, and that's what's awesome to me. What does it mean to you? Just as we're getting towards the the, the end of the hour here, just what does it mean to you as a guy who? Baseball was such a connective tissue in your life. You were a player, you know, leaving that world, entering the broadcast world, but still being able to be around this game, to still be part of that culture and that that family that kind of you you create for yourself. Yeah, and again, I, it wasn't hard for me to step away from the game because I, you know, I mm-hmm. didn't make it to some level where like it was a gut wrenching decision to put a glove or a bat down. But I just knew I wanted to stay in it because, for me, baseball was my life. I don't know why. You know, I, I guess I know why because we've talked for an hour, you know, whether it's my grandfather <laughs> yeah. or my dad and growing up and listening and watching and all this stuff. I, I just knew that in some way, shape, or form, I wanted to be in the game, not in the dugout, not managing or coaching. And, I, you know, I guess at some point I just made the uh, decision that maybe broadcasting would keep me in the game. And, um, you know... I sometimes I go down to UM and talk to students and stuff. I never had a plan B, and I think that's okay. You know, you know, in college they're like, you know, you know, you're doing this, but make sure you have other things. Right. To me, I was one track minded. I I don't I don't want a plan B. I have a plan A because plan B is not going to be good. I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. To me, I want to broadcast baseball. I want to be in baseball and um, chase your passion. Yes, I. It's. It's such a great thing to keep in mind whether you're in high school and you're really starting to think about your life and your future or whether you're in college. Be passionate about something and give it absolutely everything you have until you feel like you just can't pursue it anymore. Just go get it. Like whatever it's going to take and you'll figure it out because if you work hard enough and you have to pick up a second job, I took a unique path. I tell people all the time, there's no cookie cutter way to do something. And really that applies to what any, whatever job you want. But in baseball in particular, there's 150 teams out there and 30 major league teams. And you know what? There's a lot of kids that'll come out of college and they'll go to the middle of nowhere and Kansas. Hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, they have to get a second job and maybe you're doing lawn maintenance in the morning to make $25 at nighttime to broadcast the game. 
but work your you know what off and it's going to pay off and just don't give up because you will have to get a little lucky but if you work really hard luck will find you and i really truly believe my heart of hearts that you'll get where you want to be at the end of the day kyle it's been such a pleasure to have you and talk baseball and but also some great life life lessons thank you man. we're done now all right anytime guys Thank you. <laughs> Our guest today was Kyle Seeloff. He's the play-by-play host on Marlins Radio. It's his 11th season with the team, but it's his first time calling the thing all by himself. And that's Sundown for Thursday, October 19th. I'm Leslie Ovalle Atkinson, the show's lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Mertz is WLRN's VP of Radio. Engineering our board is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up next week on the program... Dr. Tamika Hobbs says the black history she was taught in school was insufficient and left her confused. Now she's leading the way with a Black History Saturday school series in Broward. I'm Carlos Frias. And I'm Leslie Ovalle Atkinson. Good Good vibes vibes only. only.